Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Creative industries are changing all the time. At Murdoch University School of Arts, you can study a degree that will keep up with the fast pace of modern media. Designed in consultation with industry and business, the new Bachelor of Creative Media allows you to specialise in sound, graphic design, screen production, photography or games art and design. In addition to Pixel Sift, this week, Murdoch University School of Arts is once again sponsoring Perth's Game Fest. So if you would like to see what the Perth game development community has to offer, come down to Perth Town Hall this Saturday, the 25th of November, and check out some Murdoch student creations such as Long Live the King, Singularity, and many more. Search Murdoch University and head to the website for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Perth Games Fest and Pixel Sift. That's it, it's Pixel Sift. Hello, my name is Scott and welcome to Pixel Sift. For those of you joining us for the first time, we're a show that gives you a glimpse into the Australian video game culture and development community. Helping me out today, as always, are my hosts, Sarah and Nick. Hello. Hello. Co-hosts, that was. Coasts. That works. I like that. Coasts. <laughs> it's just it's got a nice rhythm. Yes. And our special guest today is Dylan Walker from One Right Games. Thanks for joining us today, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Uh, Dylan's here to talk to us about One Rat's latest title, Elden. But before that, what else are we covering, Sarah? Well, with the release of Star Wars Battlefront 2, EA has somehow managed to piss off the entire internet. The whole of it. Or at least most of Reddit, or almost all of Reddit, based on just how many downvotes that one comment got. So for the last two weeks, it's all anyone's been able to talk about, so now it's our turn. (laughs) Excellent. Let's get started. You're listening to Pixel Sift, or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. Pixel Sift. So, Star Wars Battlefront 2 has been out for about a fortnight now, but it didn't take nearly that long for the game to be returned, burned, thrown into the comments section, and downvoted into oblivion. The response was so overtly negative that EA's share prices dropped a whole 10%, which is pretty damn significant. Now, the offending microtransactions that caused most of the kerfuffle around this have been temporarily, that's the key word, disabled, but has the damage already been done? Well, yes, in a lot of ways it has. Um, so... It's funny you mentioned the temporary bit as well. I'm sure we'll get back to that. But, yeah, it's temporary with no uh, foreseeable end to it. Um, I'm sure there will be. Um, it's Yeah, it seems like Disney have kind of got up in roar about this as well because, uh, obviously, their new Star Wars is coming out in a few weeks and um, they were upset at the dis- dis- dissatisfaction amongst play- players and fans uh, and it reflected poorly on their marquee property. Apparently. Mm, definitely. Like uh, one of the first statements that I saw released post uh, the whole controversy was um, someone saying that, Star, especially Star Wars, <clears throat> everything was about the fans first. And so they were doing everything that they could to kind of correct the problems that had, had so clearly arisen. Um, initially, I, mean, I mean, it's huge. You oh, know, it's like, ridiculous. Yeah, it I is. was reading an article today. It was by um, uh, a person from Forbes, and they, they said they were a father in this article, and they were talking about how they, they were, they're a family father, and Star Wars has always been a family IP. You know, I was watching it as, a, as a quite a young kid with my family. Mm. You know, it's had games that are marketed at small children. At you know, la, uh, there's a, There was a couple of M-rated games back in the day on the GameCube and such. It's yeah. been all a kind of – it's tried to cover the widest range while still being at the core of itself a family and fun space IP, and that's fantastic. 
fantastic. And this has definitely put a bit of a dent in that, especially because this is, you know, gambling and children. The game is only rated M. It's not like it's locked to 18 plus people. It's it's available to a wide range of audiences there. And that's pretty sketchy, if you yeah, ask well, me. Yeah, well, we've been taking that. Uh, there's a lot of uproar about their whole gambling side of microtransactions and loot boxes. And I think that just this week, uh, the Victoria, some, <laughs> I should have done a little bit more looking into this, but somebody in, in Victoria, somebody decided that, yes, it was gambling. I think it was the something to do with the gambling authority. Well, um, I don't know too much about it, but there are like set rules and guidelines around what is and what is not gambling. I think you need to you need to check me up on that, but um, surely there's got to be. I mean, boards do check in on this. We have pretty strict gambling laws in Australia. I know that as much. You know, with issues this kind of thing, and it does. <clears> I mean, at its core, when you look at this kind of a model, and you go, children are doing this, or. Um, you know, people that are not over 18 are doing this with their own bank accounts and their own money, their own PayPal accounts, potentially their parents. It's like that seems pretty inappropriate, especially if the kid gets a hold of his parents' credit card for whatever reason, oh, his yeah. or her. It's like, what do you, you know, what's going to happen there? You know, it's and that bad does possibilities. Happen. Yeah, exactly. Ignoring the concept of pay to win, uh, like Overwatch and Destiny, all their loot boxes and randomized in, uh, stuff you can get in the game. Everything is cosmetic. It has nothing to do with your stats. Mm, that's a very but good that's, point. But that's the thing is, especially when it comes to games like Overwatch, where where skins are a huge part of the game and sort of like kind of identify, like, you know, being able to be an individual within that game. Everything you get in that is randomized. Mm. And especially like when it comes to the event style crates, like I remember a lot of people very upset uh, when the summer games came out. Because some people thought that event wasn't going to come around for another four years. That means if you hadn't got that item that you wanted, yeah, you would possibly... And even though it didn't turn out to be true, it was only a year wait, they're doing every summer, people were terrified and people were spending a lot of money after they'd achieved all their daily objectives and everything they could. They're still spending money in an attempt to get their favorite skin that they'd seen, whether that was Genji or it was McCree. And a lot of people were just freaking out. And that's definitely where this, where this gambling issue I'd love in. to hear uh, your take on this, Dylan, coming from a development background uh, in general. <laughs> uh, just a view of this whole Battlefront 2 microtransaction kerfuffle. Yeah, well, I've actually been in a little bit of a hole seeing I've just been working on Elden. But um, it's been obviously a pretty big topic, so I've had a bit of insight to it just seeing who hasn't at this point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so like if you look at games like Clash Royale, they do like a very similar thing. Like, well, they basically do exactly the same thing because it basically seems like they're taking their model where you have cards and you can grind them up through crafting. Mm. But the difference between this game and that game is that one of them's free and one of them is around a hundred dollars yeah. without any of like the transactions. Um, I think the biggest like issue is the gambling issue. Mm. Um, it definitely like, first came up when overwatch was doing their events and they're still doing that but luckily you get the chance to get them each year like you mentioned yeah but yeah i think the biggest issue is is it gambling and how does it affect other games such as like magic like the card gathering uh, magic the gathering the yeah. card game because um, that's a form of gambling but do we want this to affect those sorts of games like hearthstone is also a game that does it so i don't know it has a lot of repercussions and it definitely is a form of gambling, but it's a very big topic. It was definitely something that uh, me and Sarah were talking about before the show, is that it's uh, it's it's becoming almost the norm. Like for me, microtransactions was only something when I was seeing when iPhone and iPad games and Samsung mm. tablet games were becoming really, really popular. Those games were free, but then you could, if you wanted to, do in-game transactions, and it wasn't something you really see in the real world. Uh, sorry, sorry, uh, on, on major releases, but now it's becoming more and more common. Like it To me, it sort of makes sense, games like Overwatch... Uh, strong multiplayer online presence 
And it's definitely And again, that's only a cosmetic. Yeah, that's exactly. not a cosmetic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But just it, quickly it, though, sorry, going back, Mitch has just sent me an article actually. It turns out that a um the Victoria Gambling Commission does believe that loot boxes are gambling, I think, but the Queensland one doesn't. They this actually is what I say saw, yeah. where's the yeah. quote here. However, I can confirm that video gaming, which provides loot boxes, would not fall within the meaning of a gam- gaming machine as defined under the Gaming Machine Act. So basically, I haven't read the full article, yeah. but it sounds like, you know, maybe it's a bit of a grey area. And that's even more scary to me because that means, you know, it's like, you know, if this is technically not gambling in some areas, but is in some <laughs> places, how do we regulate that? How do we define that? How do we stop this from getting Within out of hand? Within the same country as well. We're exactly, already confused state exactly. to state. I mean, um, we've already we've always been a bit confused when it comes to more adult themes in games and in producing games in general or allowing them into the country. We're starting to get on top of that with the R rating and whatnot. But even still, I think that just means this is a much more important issue that we, we should be looking at from that critical angle as well as all the others, of course. And unfortunately with games, uh, you know, you, I'm not gaming much with any other content, but just because it's got an AR-18 label on it does not mean that kids are not playing it. Absolutely, and which if you is have awful. such, yeah, and if you have such a prominent part of the game being microtransactions <laughs> and paying to win, they're going to do that because kids like to win mm. and they do it mm. well. But um, you know, this def- definitely hasn't um, had no backlash, if that makes sense. Uh, in the UK, first week physical sales were down sixty one percent. Yeah, to the twenty fifteen reboot of Battlefront, which doesn't paint the rosiest of pictures. Um, and yeah, as as we we're saying again off air, uh, EA has also shut down Visceral Games, uh, who were working on a new Star Wars, Star Wars release, which looked awesome. Fortunately, it's still alive. The project yeah. is alive. But they're trying to swap companies. Well, the they're go- they're not just swapping companies. They're the EA. I think the problem with EA, and especially giving them the whole franchise of Star Wars, is that they're going to do what they do best, which is kind of making money. To be fair, it seems which, like, and they're a company yeah. that's great, but yeah, but that's, this is why they're so hated as a as a development uh, company. And, you know, and that's new Star Wars game looked awesome. And I really would have liked to have pl- played it as it was going to be, not this new pay for win mm-hmm. um, format that they seem to pushing every all of, all of the games into. That's, it seems like ooh. it's a bit of, sorry, it's a bit of an unfortunate trend that the, the new step forward that companies feel the best way to get money is the Destiny model, where it's constant expansion releases. It's, you know, paid money packs, which are either cosmetics or, or some form of gambling to get whatever. It's like that's the next step forward is these massive online multiplayer games rather than, you know, going back to some really positive, strong, really well-written story-driven linear things like what that currently in limbo, you know, Star Wars game is going to be. And a lot of people are upset about that as well because there seems to be a bit of an argument going on I've seen recently between we want more multiplayer, no, we want more story-driven. And I don't think anyone really knows They're what the best make everyone is. happy all the Exactly, time. exactly. I think a really important thing to acknowledge is that what kind of game we're looking at. So, f- for example, Destiny, it is an MMO. It is it is borrowing from the, from the PC model games of World of Warcraft, blah, 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 and it is moving on to the PS4. And that makes sense. And I really, really appreciate it. I love getting on there every week, playing with my friends and doing the exact same thing every week, which sounds a little insane, but I personally really, really like it. But it doesn't make sense when it comes to games like Battlefront, which is it, it's, it's, a, it's a traditional console multiplayer yeah. it's, and Counter-Strike. Like Counter-Strike doesn't have that sort of thing. But then it's also moving into single player games like uh, Neve Speed, which we were talking about before mm-hmm. today's Car Lovers. Is that um, another EA title? EA so, this, EA so this is a brand new EA title. EA um, again. Yep. Uh, and... Uh, one of the one of the biggest reasons people were so upset about their newest game is because uh, one of the best things about the 2015 Eve Speed, um, which originally flopped but somehow still has an incredibly strong community, was its ability to uh, build and modify your cars, and like like down to every aspect of it. That has been completely taken away in the newest Need for Speed, and instead has been replaced by a card system. 
Classic EA. So it means if you want specific tires, you're going to have to be lucky enough to get it. And it just it doesn't work in a single player thing. Like let's say if we're getting a new Star Wars single player experience, it doesn't need a loot crate. If it has a multiplayer component, even then it just it it's not necessary for the single player for the for, the, for that for literally the genre. It just it has to be appropriate and can't be just horseshoed into everything. On a general level, uh, Dylan. How do you feel yes. about the whole, like, just microtransactions in gaming in general uh, and, and the way that we came, seem to be moving in that sort of direction? Um, is it something that you would ever consider putting into one of your games? Probably not Elder, but something else possibly. Oh, Elden, sorry, but maybe something else. Uh, well, it's a difficult topic because it's not something we've really looked at mm. at One Rat. Um, the first game I ever made had ads implemented into it. Um and you could watch ads basically to allow you to revive. It was just like a little mobile game. Yeah, but optional, um, no? Uh, yeah, it was optional. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but that kind of like was the start of all of this stuff coming into mm. all of the gaming. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult issue because on one end, like studios need to be able to make money, and it's a better to make a product than like an on like a living product than a one time just. You put it out there, people play it, and then it's dead kind of product. Um, and I think that's what a lot of these like studios are looking at, is trying to make a product that lives. And I think that's a big thing that EA were doing, is they were trying to think that they would have more of an ecosystem like Overwatch, where people play have been playing that game for, like, how long is it now? Like, two yeah, years, years, nearly? Two years. I'm still yeah. loving it as much yep. as yeah. I was the first time I played it. So I think they thought people would be going into it with that kind of mentality and have balanced everything for that. So, like... I don't think it's a big issue, like, overall, we're having microtransactions in games, but it needs to be suitable. So they've made a game which is, like, balanced around fun and, like, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is difficult, and we will not be sorting it out today. Uh, on that, let's move to our next topic. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Oh, you guys... Uh, so, Dylan J. Walker is the creative director and developer at One Rat Games, and tonight he is here to talk to, about, uh, talk to us about their latest project, Elden, Path of the Forgotten. Thank you for joining us, Dylan. Yeah, thanks. Not a problem. Uh, for, for the people playing at home that aren't familiar with the game, what's Elden all about? Uh, so, yeah, it's Elden, Path of the Forgotten, as you mentioned. Uh, it's a medieval cosmic horror game. Uh, it's kind of an RPG, kind of an action-adventure game. Um the whole game is basically based around non-traditional storytelling, so more based around environmental storytelling. You want it to be like you're reading a book in a language you don't understand, but every other page has a picture. Um, and besides that, we're focusing on more of a less hack-and-slash style of combat and more reactive. So you want to manage your stamina, be in the right position, and try to go for parries instead of just going in and hitting. But yeah, basically the game's driven around lore, and combat. Literally just described my dream game <laughs> in a nutshell. I'm a, I'm a ridiculous uh, Bloodborne fan and a huge HP Lovecraft fan. So I've just got to ask straight away on your website, is that Cthulhu chilling on the front page? Because this will determine. Uh, that is a Cthulhu like creature, yes. Oh, cool. All right, I'm done. Right. Cthulhu like is my new favorite but... genre, by the Cthulhu-like way. Cthulhu like <laughs> is your new favorite genre. 
Uh, it sounds like we'll definitely have to get a hold of this one for a let's definitely. play for will, Nick. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> no one else can join me. I'm just going to sit there in like a really dark corner, blanket wrapped around me, and I'm ready to go. So, yeah, with uh, with a Cthulhu-like character like that um, and, and and drawing from lots of different styles, uh, did you draw inspiration from other works in particular? Uh, yeah. So, strangely, as well, not really strangely, but as you just mentioned, Bloodborne is a really big inspiration because... I've always been a big fan of the Dark Souls, uh, Dark Souls games. I got like Dark Souls one in like 2011, back in the day when I lived like by myself in a rural town in the middle of nowhere, and I had no internet. So I really didn't like that game when I first got it because I had no internet, and I just went into it, and it was a hell of a ride. But after like 40 hours of playing it by myself without the internet, I really fell in love with it, and now it's kind of shaped a lot of the games I've made since. Um, but then, yeah, once they release Bloodborne. That, like, really, really, I don't know, there was something about the theming that I really liked. Um, also things like Star Trek, which is a little bit of a weird one, but they also kind of go into that, like, malevolent creature kind of cosmic horror kind of theming a lot. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it is just 80s sci-fi. Which is uh, pretty top of the pops at the moment in their vein of Stranger Things and all stuff. Uh, 80s is Yeah, we're actually back pretty hard. lucky with that. We're pretty lucky with that because we actually started the game um, before Stranger Things and all that came out. We started the game in like 2015. So, yeah, wow. We're kind of good with our timing. Well, uh, so, yeah, production's been going for a couple of years then. And you, you mentioned other games. Uh, how long have you, have you been working in the industry? Uh, not that long, actually. So, this is our first major project. Yeah. Um, it's our first uh, game is actually One Rat. But beforehand, I've made just like some small titles by myself. Um, so they're just little like games. There's a game on Android and then there's a few itch games basically. But yeah, this is our first game for Steam and consoles. Yeah. Considering like bouncing off that, you know, it's your first major game. How big or expansive or long are you kind of intending the game to kind of be? Like, do you, do you have like a rough estimate of how many hours someone might average put in? I mean, it's kind of hard to say with a game of this nature, people, depending on who you are, you might play it differently. It might take you longer or shorter. Like just how big are you trying to make this as a major title for a Steam release? Yeah, so our whole thing is that we want to have a lot of varying regions, but we don't want to have them too vast so that we can concentrate on having like actual content inside of them, seeing we're only a two-man team. Oh, um, wow. So it really depends on your play style. Um, some people would be able to probably run through the entire game in under an hour, and if you wanted to get everything out of the game, you'd probably be there for like six to eight hours. But it's a pretty small game because we're like kind of aiming for people a little bit older who don't have enough time to play games all the time and want a nice concise little package you're doing the lord's work there oh my goodness <laughs> now uh i briefly we briefly had a chat to you last year at pax oz uh, in 2016 what has changed between that appearance and your appearance at this year's pax oz uh quite a lot actually um so we we funded it both paxes or oh, actually no since then, we have actually got our funding we knew we had funding last year at pax but we hadn't we weren't able to announce it yet publicly um, so we've gone full time since then, which awesome. has made a lot of changes to the game because before that we've actually started as a student project and then yeah. after uni, we just were doing it in our free time. Um, so yeah, we've been able to be on full time for almost a year now. Um, it's actually a different team now. So okay. back then it was mainly me and Peter and Peter was doing a lot of the art and I was doing a lot of the design. Uh, we also had Lewis on the project then. But we still have Lewis on the project now, but he has a lot more of a hand in everything now. So Lewis does basically all the programming, and I do all the art and design. Uh, Lewis also does the audio. Very nice. 
Um, but yeah, so basically full-time and the team changed. Yeah. So a lot of stuff. So how important is something like PAX to the indie game community? I did notice quite a few games were returning this year. Yeah, well, it, it depends on what you want to get out of it. The best thing that we get out of it is mainly playtesting. Um because it is a big audience, but it's not really big enough audience to affect your market. Mm. But it is a really good opportunity to get the general public in, have them play your game, see them play it in just a normal condition or semi-normal condition, and just get their feedback. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is just getting feedback. Um, loving the 80s throwback stuff, loving the art style. Uh, how did you settle on the style of Elton? Uh, so my background is in art. Um, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in art because, like, my mum is a chainsaw car, like chainsaw artist. Oh wow! And yeah, and her mum is like a painter and all that kind of stuff. So like, art is always running my family. Mm. I've drawn since like a young age. So basically, it was just what I wanted to see. So like, I really like pixel art, but a lot of pixel art these days, because it's like so, everyone's doing it. Everyone's trying to do it better and better and better. But they're all adding more and more detail to try and do that. Well, a lot of the cases. Um, but then you have games like um, Sword and Sorcery, where instead they're breaking it down to like three shades per object, and they're going for a real nice block and real nice contrast on everything. So that was our main inspiration, was basically like um, Sword and Sorcery and those kind of games and trying to go for more of a contrasty look. Um, so you did say you've changed your team. Um, who? How did you meet your original team and also, I guess, your new one? Double Double question. Uh, all of us actually, like old team and new team, all met through uni. Okay, so and you said that yeah, it started off as a, as a uni project. So I'm assuming you had to kick some people out to bring some people in. Uh, well, or did you not just grow? necessarily kick some people out? But back in the uni days, we like so I was we had to work in teams at uni, and you didn't really get to choose who was on your team. So we had some people put onto the project who didn't want to stay on the project long term, but were happy to help out at the start. Um, so we did have two other people on originally, which was Chavez, who was doing a little bit of level design stuff, but that's when the game had a completely different design, basically. Um, and another guy called Sam, and he was more just like someone to bounce ideas off. How did it start off as a uni project? Like, so when you were doing it for university, how expansive was the game then? And how much has it shifted since you decided to take it much, much further? Uh, well, so our plans at uni were a little bit, yeah, they were a little bit ridiculous. I wanted to make a pretty big game, and the finished product was basically like the first little walk of the game is the initial version of it. So I don't know. We went from being like an eighth of a region to having three regions, and we're working on a fourth one now. So the game's a lot bigger now, and we're a lot more fast, like just vast. Beforehand, it was only one region, and it all happened inside of the area we've shown at PAX. So how did you um, how do you actually tie your cause you, you said you wanted to have extensive lore and definitely something for people to read into uh, how how are you tying that into the game are you going to have uh, separate documents do you find items in game is it sort of is it told through the world itself from like observation and how did so you- yeah it's mainly sorry what was that oh no I was just I was going to say and how did you design that how did you go about implementing that because that's something that's always been very fascinating to me when it comes to games of this nature well yeah that's definitely been the hardest issue overall. Um, it's all basically environmental storytelling, so it's told through the world. But you also find some pages throughout the world, but they're not written in any language that um, anyone would ever understand. <laughs> um, 
so yeah but they do have a lot of imagery in them so basically the story is told through seeing things in the world seeing events occur in front of you yeah and trying to link them to those documents um, but yeah basically i'm not a really big fan of inventories so there are items <laughs> and stuff but they don't really give you it's not like dark souls where the items give you most of the law and you just go into the inventory and read it i'm not a really big fan of that because i feel like the inventory takes you away from the actual game like Dark Souls got away from that by just putting it on top of the game, so you have to be in the inventory in the game at once, but that's not ideal. So instead, we're just going for no inventory or no menus. Um, so how far completed um, uh, do you feel the game is? Uh, so like I said, we have like three of the four regions in at the moment, and we actually need to have like the entire like rough version of the game completed in just under four weeks. Oh, so wow. we don't actually have very long to finish the game, yeah. So it, there is an official release date pending? Uh, so release will be like Q1 of next year. Uh, we're looking around February. That's when it will most likely be, but maybe March. But, yeah, we're looking at February. We it all it. depends on the market. Actually. Uh, is there, if people want to check out your game, is there much to find online at this stage? Uh, yeah, so you can go to elden.com.au which is the main site for the game. And we have like a press kit and which like just gives you, it's the best place for public and press because it gives you all the information, gives you all the images. It's just a nice little spot. Um, and then we also have our Discord server, which is like discordapp.com forward slash invite forward slash one rec games. Fantastic. Or you can just write like one rec games and it will come up in Google. I'm pretty sure the Discord. And I think we'll definitely have to get a hold of a copy for Nick at oh least. Oh, my God, please. I was gonna, <laughs> no, I, I want one too, man. Don't, don't oh, count me out okay. here. Oh, I was, was going to say, but I had to stop myself. My birthday's in February. So if you could get it out for February, I'd be really <laughs> happy. Like, really happy. We'll try. Well, Thank we'd you, love to do a, uh, a Let's Play of it. I'm sure Nick would be jumping at that opportunity. So stoked. Um, but yeah, as I said, if you want to go and check out more of Elden or One Rat um, in their first official game franchise, I'm sure... Uh, go go and check them out. And what's the plan post launch? Will you be uh, in, in, you know um, put it, implementing more, or will it be done? Is it done and dusted? Come Q one of uh, so, twenty eighteen. Well, so we're doing a staggered release. So okay. uh, that Q one is for Steam. Yep. And then we'll be working on getting it ported over to whatever consoles we decide to release on. And we're also currently working on some prototypes for some new ideas. So we got a lot going on at the moment. <laughs> a lot going on. Uh, unfortunately, we have come to that time of the show where we end it. Um, Dylan, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, as usual, we'll be putting links up on our website for everything we've talked about today at www.pixelsift.com.au. Nick. You can also find more about us on facebook.com slash pixelsift, twitter.com slash pixelsift, twitch.tv slash pixelsift, and youtube.com slash PixelSiftAU. It's a you, hard one, isn't it? I know. <laughs> and if you want to ask us some questions, suggest some topics, or play some games, you can chat to us on pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. Mitch and Scott can always be found on Overwatch over there. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's a little bit terrifying. They're not quite as professional as you'd imagine online, but that's okay. They're good fun. <laughs> Unashamedly on Overwatch all the time. Uh, Sarah, if people want to listen to other episodes, where should they go? You can visit our website to find all of our stuff, including Let's Plays and previous episodes. Subscribe as a podcast, either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page 
And if you're listening to us exclusively on one of these platforms, I just want to remind you that we go live every fortnight and our next episode will be out on the 7th of December. That is it. But if you cannot wait till then, which I can understand, uh, who could get enough of us? Uh, we'll be at Perth Games Fest this Saturday at 11am at the Perth Town Hall on the main stage where we'll be taking talking to some Western Australian game devs about showing off their first games. Uh, thank you once again for joining us on Pixel Sift and big thanks to Murdoch School of Arts for supporting the show. That is all. Bye. Till next time. Goodbye. See ya. Bye.